That sermon given in the synagogue has to be the shortest sermon in the history of religion. You, will not, you are not that lucky this morning. I invite you this week to give some thought to our second reading, the reading from St. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Paul established that church, then left it, and wrote this letter around the year 55 while he was in Ephesus. But why did Paul write the letter? He received some very disturbing news about what was going on among the believers. The community allowed itself to be divided into factions based on loyalties to certain leaders. The community failed to be vigilant in keeping out certain errors that chipped away at the gospel faith so that it was no longer Christ that was being preached, but rather private speculations about Christ. Some slipped into moral laxity, living pretty much as their pagan neighbors and expected the church to tolerate it. Those were just a few of the crises that were destroying that church in Corinth from within. Paul had to get the church back on track. He did so by reminding them of a critical truth in verses 12 and 13. As a body is one, though it has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free persons, and we were all given to drink of one spirit. When Paul says, that the body is one, please understand, he does not mean it in some symbolic sense, but in an absolute sense. From the Hebrew mindset that Paul is always working from, the word body, soma in Greek, basar in Hebrew, has a very specific meaning. The human person in his or her totality. Everything that makes a human being a human being. This is what Paul means. For Paul then, the church is one in its totality. Christ and his people. No matter how many there may be. No matter what economic status they may have. No matter what their social status may be. No matter what condition of health they may be. They are all one in Christ. And through Christ, all are one with each other. Paul does not say the church is like a body, but emphatically insists, as we just heard, now you are Christ's body and individually parts of it. The community of the baptized are in Christ, who is one, and therefore all in the church, without exception, are one in Christ, tasked with living out that unity in Christ with each other, whether we like each other or not. Jesus never called us to like each other. 
We are called to love and serve each other. Many of us horribly fail in witnessing to this spiritual reality. Like those in the church in Corinth, there are those today who attack the unity of the church by insisting on their right to redefine truth, to develop their own doctrines, to chase after charismatic leaders that they like and belittle leaders they do not like, or to destroy people through the sins of gossip and slander. And the list of the offenses against the unity of the church go on and on and on. When we see this happening, a good question to ask ourselves and others is, what is your relationship with Jesus at this point in your life? Now most will ignore the question and rattle off their laundry list of the things they don't like about the church. And as valid as some of those concerns may be, they're not the real issue at all. They're just smokescreen. The real issue is that we are each graced, called by baptism, into a personal relationship with Jesus to be grafted to him and he to us and through him to each other, whether we like each other or not. We are one in him. And so the question needs to be repeated. What is your relationship with Jesus at this point in your life? And very often, believers do not know how to answer it because sadly, they never cultivated a relationship with Jesus. There are many who would say, well, I go to Mass, if they're Catholic. Well, I go to Divine Liturgy, if they're Orthodox. I go to my worship service if they're Protestant. I read my Bible. I go to my Bible studies. I go to my prayer meetings. I'm involved in all kinds of ministries in my church. Wonderful. But why do we do those things for someone we do not have a relationship with? I meet all sorts of, quote, professional church people who really don't have a relationship with Jesus at all. It's a little bit like the married man saying that he loves his wife, goes home every day after work, but he doesn't do a thing to deepen his relationship with her. He just takes it for granted that she's going to be there. Or it's like saying one has friends, but never calls them, never contacts them, never makes the effort to visit with them, and just takes it for granted that they're going to be there. Just as human nature is designed to be in a relationship with others and grow in those relationships, and the failure to do so, by the way, weakens our humanity, so all the more we are designed to be in a relationship with Jesus, in whom we were baptized, and grow in that relationship or cease being his disciples, no matter how much churchy stuff we may do, and never achieve the fullness of our humanity. Now, what I'm saying is based on the fact that I was once a Protestant, I am now a Catholic, although I think there are some who doubt I'm really Catholic anyway. Catholics sometimes have the tendency to allow the Mass 
to be a substitute for relationship with Jesus instead of using the Mass for what it is uniquely designed to do. Deepen our experience of being loved by the Lord and gracing us to deepen our love for him. Some Catholics think all they have to do is show up, plop their butt in a pew, put in their pew time, I'm in like Flint with Jesus. No, you are not. Protestants sometimes have the tendency to allow the Bible to be a substitute for a relationship with Jesus. That if I memorize all these Bible verses and I can quote every piece of scripture possible, chapter and verse, I'm in like Flint with Jesus. No, you are not. Some think, well, I do all this churchy stuff. I'm in like Flint with Jesus. No, you are not. There can be no substitutes for a relationship with Jesus. If I were to ask you, what is your relationship with Jesus at this point in your life? How would you answer? Now, why is this important? Three reasons. First, is when I allow myself to use the grace of my baptism to grow in my relationship with Jesus, I begin to see that his love for me is absolute, that he gives 100% of himself to me always, at all times. Second, I begin to realize that what is true for me is true for everyone in his church, without exception. Third, because he gives himself completely to me and to everyone, we are all graced. We are all called to supply what is lacking in the other and to receive from the other what is lacking in ourselves. That all is given for the benefit of all. But our fallen nature is always getting in the way, isn't it? We find ourselves forming cliques, falling into that poisonous pit of gossip, sinking into the mentality of the spiritual lone rangers of, I can do this on my own. I don't need a church. I don't need anybody. Ridiculing others. Refusing to come to parish events because we don't like that person. Or that person, we don't like the pastor refusing to offer our time and our talent to serve in our parishes without even trying. We can so easily become spiritual snobs. And all such perversions, and let's be clear, they are perversions, serve just one purpose, to help the devil break down the unity of the church from within. Back in the fourth century, St. John Chrysostom, patriarch of Constantinople, one of the great scholars of antiquity, wrote a commentary on Paul's letters to the Corinthians. St. John wrote, 
He who formed the body is one, and the body which he formed is also one. The best way to preserve that unity is to always ask ourselves, what is your relationship with Jesus at this point in your life?